The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is The Future of Manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. I always say it, I always mean it, and we think it's true. So what's the buzz today? Well, let's set the stage here for our topic. I recently found some information from the Deloitte 2017 Global Chemistry Chemical Industry M&A Mergers and Acquisitions Outlook Report. So recent that it's May 1st, 2017. And here we are on, let's see, 8, 9, 10, 11, 11. It was 10 days ago. They say it is expected that 2017 M&A activity will be focused around innovation and digitization. So let those key words sink in. M&A, Mergers and Acquisitions, Innovation, Digitization, and let's wrap it up into the chemical industry. So what are we talking about here today? Well, historically fragmented portfolios ongoing pressure from activists oh yes they're talking they're they're moving around and near flat global growth predictions are compelling chemical companies to find alternative ways to prosper because the dynamics of the competitive global environment are different today than they were back when these companies got started. A lot of them are very, very established. What is the answer? Well, they're turning to a creative option, and I mentioned it in the opening. Mergers, acquisitions, and let's add the D word, divestitures. So mergers, acquisitions, and divestitures can accelerate company transformation and pave the way to rapidly enter what they all want, new business. Business models, yes, wake up, it's time. Emerging regions, yep, you got to expand. And innovative market segments, there are newcomers, there are interlopers, things are changing, the market is dynamic. So we say to all of you out there in the chemical industry, are you ready? And anybody else who's in any kind of manufacturing, I think you'll learn some interesting lessons from our topic today. And of course, we're talking about chemical industry, mergers, acquisitions, and divestitures for transformational growth. So welcome to the show, and let me tell you who my esteemed panelists are, and then we'll get started. First up, we're welcoming back a lady who's been on a Game Changer show with us before. She is Kimberly Nickel, K-N-I-C-K-L-E, if you want to look her up, Research VP in IDC's Manufacturing Insights Group. Joining her today is another returning guest uh, in his new role. David Dunn is Business Development Executive in the Chemicals Industry for Capgemini. And rounding out the panel is one of the sponsors of this series. He's been on several times before, Stefan Gerskin, Senior Director for Industry Solutions marketing in chemicals at SAP. So let's circle around the table to Kim Nickel. She said I could call her Kim, not Kimberly, because we're good friends now. And Kim has sent me a very interesting quote from 
U.S. Navy Rear Admiral Grace Hopper. Let me give you a little background. If, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't heard of Grace Hopper, you will now. Pay attention. She was quite, quite an interesting lady. Grace Brewster Murray Hopper, her maiden name was Murray, lived from 1906 to 1992. She was an American computer scientist and U.S. Navy Rear Admiral. Most important to this conversation, in 1994, 1944, excuse me, she was one of the first programmers of the Harvard Mark I computer and invented the first compiler for a computer programming language. Now, I come from back in the day when there were things called programmer analysts and we carried card decks and we key punched. And as some of our training, we created a compiler. So I can identify with this. Near and dear to me, Grace Hopper popularized the idea of machine-independent programming languages, which led to the development of COBOL, C-O-B-O-L, all caps, no periods, one of the first high-level programming languages. That was how I made my living back in the 70s as a COBOL mainframe programmer. So I am just delighted. By the way, in 2016, President Barack Obama posthumously awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom to Grace Hopper. There's even a battleship named after her, the USS Hopper, and she has been called Amazing Grace. Well done. Here's the quote Kimberly has picked, and it's a good one. The most damaging phrase in the language is, we've always done it this way. Kim Nickel, welcome back to Game Changers. How have you been? Good. Thanks, Bonnie. And aren't you glad that we're not doing things the same way anymore? Absolutely. <laughs> Listen, when I didn't have to keep punch and carry around a box with 2,000 cards, Kim, and worry about dropping them when I was wearing my high heels, walking into a computer room the size of a warehouse with shiny floors, yes, I'm, I'm glad when we could actually edit our programming code on a monitor and didn't have to carry the cards anymore. I know I'm dating myself. Kim, how have you been? It's been a long time. Good, good. Um, and, you know, as you know, there's plenty of change in the, in the industry we're talking about. And so I thought this was a really appropriate quote. And uh, change makes my work interesting as well. So, um, so that's why I picked it. So tell me something. We've always done it this way. We're referencing the chemicals industry. Who is sitting out there listening to the show today, Kim? Can you imagine saying, what? We have to merge? We have to acquire? We have to divest? What are they talking about? We like things just the way they are. And they're, they're sticking to this, these one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, six words, six words of pack a punch from, from Grace Hopper. So, so tell me, is this breaking news that, that this is a mode of transforming companies for growth right now? In the chemical industry, Kim? Yeah, I don't really think it's news to them that they have to do this. I think we've, we've looked at a pattern of M&A in this industry for quite some time. Um, I think um, what's unusual right now, or at least, you know, over the last um, two years, what's interesting is just the scale of these acquisitions. Uh, and, um, and I think, you know, it also relates to the, the concepts of innovation and digitization and digital transformation, which is the term I really like to use. Uh, it's just part of the evolution for this industry. Thank you very much, Kim. Appreciate that. And thanks again for the great quote. We we always welcome quotes from Grace Hopper. She, Well, first of all, she's my hero because she invented COBOL, and I absolutely could code thousands of lines of COBOL almost in my sleep. Literally, I could write on, write, actually physically write it, key punch it on a Sunday and have it up and running by Monday afternoon with maybe one or two small syntax errors. So I lived, ate, sleep, slept, and breathed COBOL, and, and I really appreciate what she did. So thank you. 
Amazing Grace. Thank you, Kim. Let's turn to our second panelist, David Dunn, now at Capgemini. And David has sent us a quote from Carly Fiorina, who was certainly in the political limelight less than a year ago. Her full name is Cara Carlton Carly Fiorina. I didn't know she was a Cara. Uh, Born in 1954. The news is out, Carly. She's an American businesswoman known primarily before her political forays for her tenure as the CEO of H.P. Hewlett-Packard and chair of the philanthropic organization Good360. Interestingly enough, as CEO of H.P. from 1999 to 2005, Carly Fiorina was the first woman to lead a top 20 company ranked by Fortune magazine. And let me read one more little factite that David may not know. In 2002, well, I guess you do, Fiorina oversaw what was then the largest tech sector merger in history, where HP acquired its rival personal computer manufacturer, Compaq. HP subsequently eliminated 30,000 U.S. jobs, saved 80,000, and in February 2005, boom, she was fired as chair and CEO after a boardroom disagreement. So we snuck the word uh, acquisition into that conversation there, David. And here's the quote that you have selected from Carly. A merger is hard to pull off under any circumstances. It's harder when everybody is against you. I want to say boo-hoo, but I don't know if that's appropriate. David Dunn, (laughs) I know you're not feeling well today, David. I know you're under the weather, and thank you so much for agreeing to join us. So, David, uh, tell us, how did you pick this quote from Carly? It's perfect in so many ways. Go ahead. Thank you, Bonnie. Thanks for the introduction. And, yeah, you know, as I as I looked for looked at quotes and, and looked at references to to mergers, um, this one kind of hit home to me because I've been through a couple mergers uh, and acquisitions in the past, and it, it just kind of gave me pause to think about you know as you're going through, um, you've got the executive leadership team that has a goal, um, you've got the middle management that's trying to get things executed, you got employees on the floor trying to you know uh, execute against those strategies. But there's a lot of uncertainties, right? There's uncertainties about reductions and layoffs. Um, to, Kim's, to Kim's quote, you know, we've always done it this way. Now we're going to be forced to do it a different way by the new owner. And as people end up spending hours, you know, really kind of speculating. Um, and, and it's not always that healthy. Um, so everybody needs to, you know, be communicated to, given the right direction, and, and move forward. Otherwise, you just don't get the value out of what was expected in the merger. Yeah, thank you, David. And I'm thinking about my limited knowledge about mergers and acquisitions. There are so many things involved. If it's global, if you're adding on another culture, another workforce, if you're adding on, of course, then come the rules of the road in another country. How does HR work? How do you engage people? How do you make everybody feel warm and fuzzy and welcome on, on the human side? Am I right about that, David? It's it's Correct. tough. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I, I was... You know, yep. there's so many things to take into consideration. Everything, moving parts. And, and her comment, of course, is well, well done. It's harder when everybody's against you. That's very much of a, a biographical side note, I think. I think that probably happened in so many levels to her last year. But, hey, she entered the fray. What can I tell you? What did they say? you got to be in it to win it. You can't win That's the lottery right. if you don't buy the ticket and all those prosaic little little phrases we, we hate to repeat, but I just did. Thank you, David. David, take a sip of something and, and feel better. We'll come back to you in a few minutes. And now Thank let's you. welcome our third panelist, one of the three sponsors. 
sponsors of this series. It's Stefan Gertzkin, his colleagues, Thomas Pohl and David Parrish also sponsor the series. And that's why we cover so many interesting aspects of manufacturing on the show. And Stefan has sent us a quote from Napoleon Hill. Now, I didn't know much about Mr. Hill, Stefan. So I looked up and I got to tell you, I have a bio that's three pages long here in my notes. But what's interesting is Hill was considered by many as the godfather of the modern day self-help book genre. His books were expounding the principles of how to improve your life, how to be successful. And his most famous book, Think and Grow Rich, written back in 1937, is in the top 10 best-selling self-help books of all time. However, he kept starting companies that failed. He dealt with known felons. He had companies where executives were in and out of jail all the time. He went out of business. He falsely used terms like attorney at law but never practiced law. He did go to law school. He founded organizations that were declared bankruptcy, that were shut down, that went out of business within a year. He had a lot of, uh, the, the a word I'll use, some of you may recommend, may understand is surus in his life. Anybody want to spell that? I think it's T-S-O-U-R-I-S. Service in his life. He was married many times, divorced many times, but he is still the godfather of self-help books, which is just amazing to me. And here is the quote Stefan has selected from Napoleon Hill. Strength and growth come only through continuous effort and struggle. And Stefan, Napoleon Hill lived that mantra, I think, most of his life. So, Stefan, how are you today? I'm doing good. Thanks, uh, Bonnie. So I'm doing very good. Good. So did you know all that about Napoleon Hill, that his life was a continuous effort and struggle? Well, it was not um, um, the reason why I picked that quote. I mean, I like that quote, <laughs> but I honestly must uh, admit that I haven't heard about Napoleon Hill before, but it seems to be a quite interesting guy. I mean, that whole notion of, of self-help, um, I related that to, um, to the need to grow in today's world. I mean, we have a very aggressive, a very dynamic economy today, and you can only... Um, um, survive or even thrive in that world if you, um, if you are constantly out for uh, new ventures and, and just um, basically look how, what, what would be the right strategy looking at the current market conditions to, to ensure growth. And nobody's helping you with that. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, it relates to the term self-help, and it, it, it basically says help yourself and look out for always the best strategy in the current environment to secure growth, because if you don't do that, you will not survive. And so basically, the whole notion of growth, to me, is it, it's a journey. I mean, it's not a one-off exercise. You do it one, then you're done. I mean, you have to be on the constant lookout and, and just... Um, revisit your strategy on an ongoing basis. You have to have or adopt the necessary strategic ability to really um, always make sure you can take advantage of uh, what the, the market opportunities are telling you or providing you, and then basically help yourself to make it happen. Nobody basically prescribes you what to do. Nobody's telling you you have to do this or that. Maybe there's something from, from the shareholders, but besides that, it's up to you to really make the right decisions and think about what would be the best move under current circumstances for your company. 
Thank you. Very, very interesting sidebar. And yes, uh, thank you. I, I'm intrigued that you picked the quote based on the quote, not on the person. And the, the irony, as I said, is that Napoleon Hill was in and out of struggles his whole life. But Stefan, to his credit, he kept trying. He kept getting back in the game and he kept trying and inventing and creating and employing and going in and out of business. At one point, he was very, very wealthy. Uh, when he wrote the eight volume Laws of Success and published it in early 1928, it was an instant hit and he was getting, listen to this, Stefan, royalty checks over $2,500 a month. Do you know how much that was in 1928 dollars, Stefan? You want to take a guess? Or David or Kim, anybody want to guess how much money that was? $2,500 a month, 1928. Anybody? 10000 uh, oh no, $31,000, grand a month, and he still went bankrupt, he still closed businesses, he still lost everything and had to start all over again, so yeah, he was, he was in the lavish life, so very, very interesting, thank you Stefan for picking that, and thanks for giving me the opportunity to look him up, I have a comment here from one of our listeners now, Monica Gassman, G-A-S-S-M-A-N-N is listening, and she said, uh, Kim and David, she said, she loves to hear quotes from strong female leaders. She's talking about Carly Fiorina and Grace Hopper. So thank you, Monica. We appreciate that. She also said she loves the opening quotes on the Game Changers shows, listening live now uh, to, to Kimberly and to David and to Stefan. Thank you, Monica. Wherever you are, we look forward to more quotes and tweets from you. We're tweeting at hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. So let's circle back around to Kim Nickel at IDC. Kim, love to know where you're calling from. Um, approximately, not the coordinates of the roof of your house. And what are you drinking today if it makes you smile? If not, what would you rather be drinking? As in, what's in your cup today? Kimberly Nickel. Go ahead, Kim. Well, I am drinking some uh, tea made from loose leaf tea from the Ithaca Coffee Company. It's Irish breakfast, and um, it's making me smile because it's a slow infusion of caffeine that I need this morning after a late night. Okay, we won't ask. Yes, that caffeine does help a lot. Uh, you know, they don't let me go near caffeine on radio show days, Kim, and this is a double header day. We have show at two this afternoon, so just water. What can I tell you? But it's still fun. Uh, okay, David Dunn, who is nursing a cold and a fever, and oh my goodness, David, I'm so pleased that you're joining us because we know you have some very per- perfect words of wisdom to share. David, what are you drinking today, and, and where in the world are you? I am in St. Louis, Missouri, and I am drinking uh, hot green tea for my voice. So hopefully it's uh, helping. I used to start every morning off with a Pepsi, but um, I don't I don't do that much anymore. (laughs) So I'm really and I used yeah I used to drink a lot of Pepsi, sometimes twelve pack a day. Uh, What now? Listen, was was that full strength or was that diet? Oh, full strength. Really? As because I got we had, older, I had to kind of change that. <laughs> You're older? Okay, we won't tell anybody. Da- David, the reason I ask is we had a panelist on Coffee Break with Game Changers yesterday who admitted to, I think, a Diet Coke addiction. Uh, yes. Could, couldn't <laughs> stay away. 
It was either Diet Coke or Diet Pepsi, and he said one day he was uh, sitting on a plane next to one of the VPs of Coca-Cola. Happened, I don't know whether it was a, they happened to just coincidentally sit next to each other, but they started a conversation. It was Diet Coke, Kevin just told me, my engineer, and he remembers. And uh, this, they were started a conversation, and he said he had this Diet, Diet Coke addiction, and the gentleman from Pepsi said, that's not good for your health. <laughs> <laughs> We'll just leave that one on the table. Thank yeah. you, David. Take a break and rest that throat. You do sound very good, by the way. We would never know. And Stefan Gertzkin, you're somewhere in Germany. Please tell us where. And what are you drinking today, or what would you rather be drinking? Stefan? Well, I'm, I'm sitting in Germany um, right next to uh, Cologne, Dusseldorf area in my home office. And um, right now I have a decent cup of coffee in front of me. So you, I can claim that I'm getting close to an addiction to caffeine, so not to Diet Coke, but at least to caffeine. <laughs> so, um, but the bottom line is, I mean, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to tonight because um, you always have a fair chance to pick me on, on special occasions. I mean, last time you picked my birthday for the, for the radio show. Oh, this time you right. picked my uh, wedding anniversary. So what's going to happen tonight, I'm looking forward really to have a, a decent glass of, of Cabernet, <clears throat> and uh, I really love red wine and um, I'm still working on a on a nice winding and dining tour um, uh, along the uh, the Rhone River Valley I hope that we get that set up fairly soon but that's really my favorite I'm looking forward tonight to have a <clears throat> nice glass of, of Cabernet so that's that's the deal for today and by the way David you probably notice I'm close to losing my voice um, as Aww. well so it's not that serious I mean it's it just um, probably a light cold but but anyway i hope you can still hear me well we can hear you you're troopers stefan may we ask how many years you've been married what anniversary are you celebrating um my 20th 20th oh my goodness you look like you just got out of college you look so young i well congratulations (laughs) 20 years is a real milestone in today's i'm going to say something a little corny here in today's personal merger and acquisition environment (laughs) (laughs) And and divestiture and divestiture environment. You you are certainly a trooper. No, no, no. We're, we're, we're hoping for nothing more than success and another 20 years, and we'll, we'll be talking to you then. I don't think we're going to be using re- uh, phones and headsets like I'm on a tie line here. I think in 20 years, I'm going to do a very crazy prediction here. I think we will just be looking at each other on a virtual screen and talking, and the voices will carry over the air to one designated place like the radio station. It'll just happen without paraphernalia and having to dial. We'll just think it. And it will happen. Oh, my goodness. Let's wait and see if that happens. Waiting for a comment from my engineer. Uh, David Dunn, Monica Gassman says, get well soon and happy anniversary to Stefan. And uh, she says she's loving the show. Thank you, Monica Gassman. We really appreciate that. We're going to take a quick break. The pause that refreshes for Kim and for me and for David and Stefan, just rest your throats for a second because I'm going to be talking to Kim about exactly where we're starting the roundtable. So here's my advice to Monica and everybody else who's listening don't even think of touching that mouse that app that dial i promise we'll be back in 90 seconds kevin out from the boardroom to you voice america business network the manufacturing world is moving faster than ever and the future will be defined by how quickly industry leaders address new trends overcome new challenges and take advantage of new technologies 
The aerospace, chemicals, high-tech, and industrial sectors are at the forefront of transforming manufacturing operations to truly change the game. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how innovations are driving new challenges and trends across various manufacturing sectors. The Future of Manufacturing with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to The Future of Manufacturing with Game Changers. Here we are today speaking with a distinguished panel. We have Kim Nickel at IDC, David Dunn at Capgemini, and Stefan Gertzkin at SAP. And I'm still Bonnie D. Graham, and we are talking about MA and D, the chemical industry gone mad. No, not quite. We're talking mergers, acquisitions, and divestitures for transformational growth. And the key word, the key phrase is transformational growth. That's what they need to do. Chemical industries are facing historically fragmented portfolios, ongoing pressure for from activists and near flat global growth predictions. What are they going to do? Well, M, A, and D. Here we go. We're going to start the roundtable with Kim Nickel at IDC, and Kim has sent me the following notes. Let's see where we go with this. She says, in IDC's 2016 survey, chemical companies told IDC that their top two management priorities are increasing productivity and decreasing costs, and M and A, mergers and acquisitions is one way to achieve those priorities. Kim, please tell us more about the findings. Yeah, so this is part of an annual survey that we do of manufacturers. Uh, These are U.S. results, Um, and I think, you know, it's been probably the last five uh, plus years where that has been, those two have been the top management priorities for pretty much all kinds of manufacturers. And that's a, that's a fairly conservative take that we've seen after 2008. Um, but I, I think that it doesn't tell the whole story. Uh, and, uh, and I think it definitely relates to M&A. So one of the um, ways that I think manufacturers can increase productivity, and I'm talking about chemical manufacturers mm-hmm. in this case, uh, is to improve their innovation processes. So even though it sounds conservative, I think there is an innovative element to this as well. Uh, and so um, it, it can relate to um, how productive they are in terms of using new developments, uh, taking a long-term view with research, but actually being able to, to commercialize that and capitalize on those investments. Um, that's increasing productivity as well. Thank you very much, Kim. A very interesting. David Dunn at Capgemini. Thoughts on this, uh, on what Kim has shared from their IDC's 2016 report? Yeah, so um, it's, a good, it's a good point about innovation. Um, and innovation can be looked at, I think, in a number of different ways. Um, product innovation, 
Um, but I think, you know, if you look at product innovation, um, it, it does take a while to, to invent new chemistries, to, to scale them up, um, get them in production. And I think one of the ways that, um, you know, they build and companies build and, and start build on the, uh, you know, the increase, increasing productivity and, and decreased cost is, which is really driving profitability, is through a merger and acquisition and through an acquisition because it can happen faster. Um, or at least the product, the product portfolio ramps up faster. And then, you know, years ago and some of the acquisitions I've been involved with, um, you know, were, were companies buying uh, companies with portfolios very similar. So you get synergies. Um, but as, as we've seen over the past, you know, even 10 years, um, a lot of these companies are buying whole new portfolios to get them into different areas. You know, a lot of the big, uh, commodity chemical companies have bought specialty chemical companies to higher profitability. Um, and, and it, it automatically or, you know, it quickly allows you into the market as opposed to trying to build that strategy without really having the background and expertise. Thank you, Dave. And let's go to Stefan. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I fully agree what to, to Kim's point. I mean, innovation is definitely um, um, one <clears throat> very important aspect. I mean, we see a lot of disruptive technologies uh, uh, appearing on the screen. I mean, we talked about disruptive models in, in earlier sessions. I mean, look at, at, at Uber and, and Airbnb and companies like that who completely disrupt entire industries with new business models. So the threat by technology innovation is there, and that um, creates some, some, um, some call to action. So that's one thing. Another thing is, and that's, that's David's point more or less, it's just the whole notion of, of the, especially the commodity players. I mean, they, are, they have reached their limits in terms of, of uh, raising the level of productivity. What they may not have looked into is really how digitization can further in, in improve the processes of what they run. So, but what they are doing is to, to get less cyclical and, and get higher margins, they start to look into, uh, into the downstream area. So they move into specialty chemicals with the expectation that that gives them a higher margin. And then a couple of other elements, what I see. I mean, first and foremost, um, we see uh, the whole worldwide economy um, growing very slowly, if not even mm -hmm. flat in certain areas. So that means <clears throat> there is no, no chance to organically grow and get the, the growth rate, what the analyst expects or, or what the shareholders expect. So that means there is a call to action from that perspective. How can I grow rapidly to meet shareholder expectations? Then there's the whole notion of heterogeneous portfolio, especially in the chemi mm -hmm. specialty chemical area. So the, you see a lot of companies still <clears throat> maintaining a heterogeneous portfolio. I'm looking, my old company, I worked 11 years with Chemtura. I mean, they were really struggling since I left that company 15 or 16 years ago. And finally, they, they went through a whole bunch of, of acquisitions, mergers, spin-offs. I mean, they, they tried everything, and now they ended up being acquired by Langsa. So that means consolidation of a heterogeneous portfolio is, is an additional driver. And that's also supported by the activists, what you see in the market, putting a lot of pressure on uh, on the whole on all the companies and uh, just just cleaning up their portfolio to give more value for the shareholders but that's another element and last but not least what's what's um, uh, also happening is i mean you see a lot of chemical companies having very uh, rock solid cash flow position and that set them up for 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 buying some some acquisition targets which nicely round up their portfolios enhance it uh, whatever synergy they are striving for so the good cash flow position 
um, also put them in a favorable <clears throat> position to, to do that, so to, to um, basically grow rapidly via merger acquisition. So it's basically five elements. It's flat growth, it's the need to innovate, it's the need to, to move to less cyclical downstream business, consolidate portfolios, and basically um, um, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, the capital situation, what those companies are in. Those five elements create, in my opinion, uh, the kind of perfect storm Thank you, Stefan. Very interesting overview. A lot of good detail there. Kim, I'm going to circle back to you because this was your opening topic for the roundtable. Thoughts? I I think that uh, they have added very nicely to this. I think it's important to look at productivity in many different ways, and um, I, I I like the comments. Good. I'm glad. Thank you very much. David Dunn, we're not going to make you talk too much, but I'm picking some comments here from your notes. The topic of the subtopic is overall trends. Let's talk about mega, mega, mega chemical mergers. So I'll read a little bit, David, and love to get your thoughts as much as your throat allows. Then we'll have Stefan chime in and Kim to save your voice. So David says, it's not just small companies acquiring to get scale, to compete against the big chemical companies. Okay, that sets the stage. It's not just a David and Goliath. It is mergers among the mega chemical companies. Another trend that has emerged is M&A within the agribusinesses. Large global companies are emerging to compete against others that have merged. So I guess the question, David, is how big can it get? Are there any laws or rules in U.S. or other countries against monopolies? How does this work, David? What do you see? Well, first of all, you know, to, to me, it's amazing the scale of some of these uh, acquisitions and mergers. You know, Dow and DuPont and um, one of my old companies, Monsanto. Um, you know, these are these are large companies, and and there are rules and there's regulations, and and so you know, typically they've got to go through a process to get approvals from the EU. They've got to get approvals from uh, you know from the U.S. government, um, Canadian governments. And, and, you know, I think what typically happens and what you see out of some of these very large ones, um, and it happens on a, on a smaller scale, too, is that it creates, uh, you know, ultimately a divestiture. So in order to get U.S. approval, um, yeah, you can pull these businesses together, but you're going to have to carve something out. And so, you know, in, in the long term, um, that, that could very well lead to, uh, you know, a whole new set of, you know, com- companies and a whole second wave of, um, uh, of mergers from companies that have been divested off of larger companies merging. Tell, tell me something, David, before I get Stefan and Kim to come in. When you're divested, when, when you're thrown aside, kicked to the curb, however you want to say it, is that something that sends a message to the industry saying, oh, you know, uh, Mary and Joe's chemical company was thrown off by, let's just use the, the word Monsanto, a well-known company, as you mentioned. Uh, Monsanto kicked them to the curb. They don't want them anymore. What happens to Bob and Mary's company at that point? If there are any Bobs and Marys listening, I apologize for <laughs> using your name in vain. But seriously, what happens to the ones that are are divested? Can they survive? Is there a, a stigma? I, I know I'm putting this in human terms, and here we're sure. talking about mega mergers, but what happens to them and their role in the industry? You know, typically the divestitures I've seen um, and been involved with, um, it, it, it's, it's really not as big of a stigma as, as I don't believe, and I'd be interested to hear Kim's and, and Stefan's 
uh, viewpoint, but I don't know that it's really a divestiture. Typically, um, from some of the ones I've seen, you know, a, a divestiture, divestiture can actually be a very positive thing for some of these companies. They're different business models. They're not getting necessarily the support necessary to, to grow. And when they get put on their own, they change their business processes. They become more flexible, um, maybe start looking for their own acquisitions to bolster. So, you know, I, I, I don't think it's, it's necessarily a, a negative thing anymore. I think so, um, it, it can be viewed as a way to really become a new organization um, and, and grow in your own right. Thank you. Thank you for that sidebar. I appreciate that. Stefan Gertzkin, let's get your thoughts on this. Any or all of the above. Mega, mega mergers and divestitures. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, to, to, um, to the first point, to Dave's first point, I mean, first of all, I agree. I mean, these, these mega mergers, what you see, are, are not only triggered just by the element I just mentioned, um, but they have a strong contribution to that. I mean, look, for example, at agrochemicals. Um, so, on, on one hand side, the prices are down. That is one thing. So all, all agrochemical companies, be it the seed producers, be it the, the crop protecting producers or the fertilizer producers, they are all more or less suffering. Um, that's, that's the one side of, of the metal, and that basically um, calls for, for significant cost reductions just to stay competitive and still make some money out of that business. But on the other hand, we have to feed 9 billion people in 2015. So that means... Mm-hmm. Um, there needs to be breakthrough innovations which make that happen. I mean, we don't get uh, much more arable land until then, so we have to basically use the ground what we have uh, and get more out of it and just, just help the farmers to maximize the output and the yield of their farms. And that requires really breakthrough innovations. And you can only afford to enter in these breakthrough innovations, be it gen-modified seed or whatever, if you have mm-hmm. a critical mass uh, of innovation power. And that, in my opinion, is, is, a, is a primary driver um, behind uh, the Dow-DuPont merger, but also behind the merger of Bayer and, and, um, and uh, um, Monsanto. Mm-hmm. So that means they, they are striving for a critical mass around innovation and just to basically serve the needs of the 2050 population, which is really a mission critical. So that's one thing from, from, from a, a mega-mergers aspect. So... In, in terms of, of divestitures, I mean, I see a lot of companies who, um, when they were still with their, with their uh, parent company, they were the stepchild, if you will. But when they, they got spun off, they were prospering. And uh, just, just look at America's Tyrannics. I mean, they revamped a completely new strategy, and they are now doing well in, in the commodity business even. So look at Covestro with the material science business from, from Bayer. They are doing well as well. Look also at Langset. They have been spun off Bayer uh, some, some years ago. I think it was even, even 10 or 12 years ago. And they are doing well, and they start to acquire themselves and, and, and prosper in the specialty business area. So, I mean, a spin-off doesn't necessarily mean you, you are just discarded. I mean, that mm-hmm. may be a great opportunity to really revisit your, your strategy and do what you think is the right way in a, in a, in a, in a kind of, 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 of uh, your own small portfolio area without having, having all the burden what you have to carry from your, your former parent company, be it on, on the process side, be it from the IT side. So, and that gives the, the spin-offs a, a huge opportunity to just start from scratch, rebuild their strategy, and then um, just get rid of the, the mother-parent burden, uh, the mm-hmm. mother-company's burden, and just, just really revamp the business and the strategy 
just uh, from scratch. And that's what Thank we you. see happen. Yeah, very interesting. Thanks for all the examples, Stefan. Uh, really appreciated. Uh, our audience loves to hear bits and pieces they can take away, especially when there's name recognition of what you're discussing. And many of those names were familiar even to me. Kim Nickel at IDC, love to get your thoughts on what we started with David, and we're proceeding around the table to you. Thanks. Um, you know, I think that uh, that that the the label stepchild and uh, just the, um, you know, the lack of getting the exec's attention and the exec support is, is one of the reasons why the divestitures aren't necessarily a bad thing. And let me just give you a specific example, which is that, you know, Dow and DuPont have said that even though they are merging, they're quickly going to form three companies post-merger. So one's going to be the core Dow business. There will also be an agriculture business and a third, the specialty products. So I, I think there's an acknowledgement that um, that organizing in such a way that you can allow uh, each of those businesses to um, to achieve their best um, does not necessarily minimize the um, the, the the value of the overall total. So it, it actually creates benefits, right? So um, I, I think that um, the mergers have to be able to achieve um, business process standardization, uh, sharing costs. Um, but at the other, on the other hand, you want to minimize the overhead that you then pass on to all of the different businesses and business units. Uh, and I think the more that... Um, that different businesses can identify their, their top priorities, how they actually compete, and acknowledge the fact that it's not always about scale uh, and how are they going to evolve. I mean, you have to, you have to do that, um, the competitive piece on a smaller scale. Thank you, Kim. Let me circle back to David Dunn. David, just a quick comment from you on what your colleagues added. Very good conversation, David. What do you think? Yes, I agree. I think Kimberly's points were very good and very appropriate, um, and Stefan as well. So, I mean, I think I think it can be a very good thing for companies, uh, again, creating agility, creating business processes that will make them more successful that, that they didn't necessarily have the support for uh, prior. So, uh, very good comments. Good, I'm glad. And now let's move to Stefan. I have a lot of notes here, Stefan. We've covered a lot of information here, but... I'll give you a choice, Stefan. We can talk about the critical factors for a successful M&A strategy, or we can talk about the geopolitics that influence M&A and divestiture activities in the chemicals industry. What would you rather, where would you like to go in the few minutes we have left, Stefan? Well, let's start with the critical factors. I mean, in my opinion, is is really important. So... um, Yeah, I mean, what what happened in the past, I mean, we saw a lot of MERS acquisitions in the chemical industry, but not all of them were were successful. I mean, I heard a number, I'm not sure I'm very careful, but I heard a a number in terms of of, of failing in realizing the the post-merger synergies of of 60 to 80%. So that means, obviously, Mm. even though people might have a good intention when they look at MERS acquisition, they may not have thought through everything. So what does it mean really to, um, uh, or what are the, the critical success factors, in my opinion, to make a successful merger and acquisition or to develop a successful merger and acquisition strategy if you want to make that really core to your business? 
So mm-hmm. first what you need is um, you basically uh, have to develop strong in-house skills and uh, organizational entities um, uh, which, which basically are capable to, uh, to look um, at mergers and acquisition on an ongoing basis and, and consider them as a vehicle for growth. So in-house skills and organizational entities which basically are capable to support an ongoing merger and acquisition strategy are essential. Then what also needs to happen, and that is part of that task uh, resides in these organizations, is really do continuous monitoring of, of potential targets. I mean, you always have to observe the market. Uh, you have to, um, to consider the changes in the market. You have to consider the change in your own portfolio, which, of course, will have a different impact on, on the targets you're looking at. So are you looking at innovation? Are you looking at, at, at cost synergies or what are looking at, at regional expansion? I mean, what, what are the strategic goals what you are pursuing? And you have to have um, basically the, the capabilities in-house to, to observe what's going on and then uh, in the next step also to evaluate uh, your, your portfolio and make sure that you evaluate your targets as well. And that also means um, you need a framework of, of advanced tools. Um, for example, you need to, um, to readily run predictive simulations. I mean, what do it mean if you acquire, let's say, a company in, in APJ or in China? What's the impact on your, your core KPIs on your, on your scorecard? And you have to be able to simulate that with, a, with, a, well, with a, at least with a, with, a, with a reasonable amount of accuracy just to make the right decisions on that. And that also, of course, will dictate how much you want to, are you willing to pay. And that's also an issue what happened in the past, that people start to overpay uh, uh, the, the companies they wanted to acquire. And um, so that always has to be carefully thought through. And then also what is still, in my opinion, underestimated is the, the whole notion of, of um, cultural fit and also change management. I mean, if you acquire a company, you have to make sure that you are aware of the cultural risk you are, you are taking. And of course, also, I mean, uh, you have to be aware of that. It's not just acquiring the company and then plugging in new processes, standard processes, bringing them on, on certain templates, and then off you go. I mean, you always have to be aware of that, that a, a critical change, manage, or, or change management is a very critical element, as well as um, a cultural change alignment, whatever you might call it. So there are a whole bunch of different factors which, which contribute to successful uh, realization of, of post-merger synergies. And uh, what, what you see in the market even, I mm-hmm. mean, just, just to finish on that, is that <clears throat> some analysts even look at not only the, the typical transaction multiples in terms of, 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 of EBITDA, they look at, at EBITDA um, um, after synergies. So that means there, there are new KPIs, even in the evaluation of, of, of acquisition targets are, are evolving. So that, that means you have to think about upfront what are the potential synergies, what you get, uh, and, and price them into um, what you want to pay for that company. So, I mean, a lot of things going on, and, and, um, and uh, successful companies who really have an ongoing merger and acquisition strategy, they definitely have a, 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 the right in-house skills, the, the right organizational entities who are capable to look into all that and, and, uh, with, with, and come up with, a, with rock-solid propositions, who to acquire, who to merge with, or, or what, what portfolio meant to spin off, still making, um, yeah, just, just harvesting uh, the past synergy <clears throat> expectations.
pretty. Thank you very I, much. I I feel like we've just sat in on a lecture from a professor, and I say that with with great gratitude, Stefan. That was terrific. Uh, it was really a, an overview of I don't know whether you say in German a primer or a primer if you have a specific word for the steps it takes, the 101 and how to get into something. I mean, I'm feeling with days. So I'm close to losing my voice here. So no, you you sound great. Your your voice is clear and sharp, and and the lessons you just shared are terrific. I want to make sure we have time before we go to our predictions round in about three and a half minutes. I want to make sure we have time for Kim Nickel at IDC and David Dunn at Capgemini to comment on the pieces of what Stefan laid out for the successful chemical industry M&A and D strategy. Kim Nickel, observations, please. Yeah, I want to actually steer it towards the um, the topic that, that – uh, Stefan avoided, which is geopolitical, and I think it was partly, um, if we neutralize that term, and I just say regional differences, uh, I think that it's, <laughs> it's part of the first thing that Stefan mentioned, which is, you know, what are your, what are your core goals here? And I think that um, it's absolutely part of the M&A um, or the divestiture strategy to take advantage of the different regional variations, whether that's um, existing capital investments, existing innovation capabilities, uh, different tax structures, uh, different growth in um, in the customer market. So I, I think we we have to address that topic, and and we have to address the uncertainty issues. And I think that there will be some M and A that is motivated um, by by our specific geopolitical. Um, challenges right now, uh, I think it's just going to, it's going to impact the M&A that happens for companies to um, make sure they have a strong foothold in the U.S. market or make sure that they can successfully serve their markets in other regions uh, from other locations. So um, that's my two cents. Thank you. That's a lot more than two cents. Thank you, Kim. I, I particularly appreciate the fact that you picked up on when I offered Stefan the chance to talk about the influence of geopolitics, and you said, let's let's rephrase that regional differences. And I had brought that up earlier in the show about the fit and how do you fit into different cultures and different laws and engagement with employees and with different corporate cultures all the way through the M&A process. Thank you very much. David Dunn, we have just uh, – why don't you give us a minute and a half or so of your comments, and then we're going to move back to Kim and start our predictions round. David? Okay. Um, yeah, sure. And, um, you know, I think obviously it's been uh, well covered um, by Stefan and Kimberly. I, I would just highlight that, yeah, you know, the, the I think the kind of key success factor is that I've seen companies who are who are very good at it um, really commit to it as a strategy, right? It's, a, it's going to be our growth strategy. Um, and then put together portfolio groups to, to do continuous analyzation because it's not necessarily about how are we going to expand our portfolio, but it's also doing the analysis of, okay, when do we, when do we divest uh, underperforming assets? So, you know, I think both, both sides of the uh, equation are, are going to be done better by a committed team focused on portfolio analysis. Thank you very much. You know what, Stefan? I can give you 60 seconds to comment on their comments, and then we'll go to Kim for predictions. Stefan? No, I think I, I fully agree with, with, with both statements, and um, <clears throat> I would say uh, I think we, we, we covered both aspects pretty well, so I don't want to 
want to spend too much time then. I just just uh, give it back to you just to give you enough time for the crystal ball predictions here. Thank you very much. I can see the crystal ball spinning in the wind here. It's time to look at the crystal ball from the perspective POV of Kimberly Nickel at IDC. Kim, take a look. I'm kind of fond of the, about the year 2020 because we've been had it. It's been hammered into our brains for so many years on TV. 2020. You know who said that? I don't have to name her anymore. And I'm wondering. Well, first of all, somebody just told me recently that it's only three New Year's Eves away, and that's uh, good and the bad news. It seemed so far in the future for so long, and here it is. What will be different if we look? If we get together again, Kim, around 2020, and we speak about chemical industry, the dynamics of transformational growth, whether mergers and acquisitions are still a great way, a top priority of management for expanding portfolios, for entering new markets, for changing business models, and don't forget the de-divestiture. Kim Nickel, prediction, 60 seconds, all yours. All right. Um, start the clock. Uh, I'm going <laughs> to throw something out there that we haven't talked about at all. And, um, you know, if we look at the M&A and the divestitures, we've talked about all, uh, you know, all companies who have been in this industry for a long time, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw a quote at you that comes from the CEO of Under Armour. Okay, totally unrelated industry, but I think he says it well, and I think a lot of companies in different industries are asking themselves the same question: What if Amazon and Apple get into my business? And I think we have to, we have to wonder about the, you know, the fact that all of the manufacturing industries are seeing um, their businesses change so much. There's so much increasing technology. What does it mean if a technology vendor comes into the chemical industry? Is that possible? And I think it might be, or at least the mm. possibility that they could influence them significantly. So that's my 2020 thought. Wow, that's a big one. Thank you. I think we talked just a drop about upstarts or uh, I said in my opening something about new entrants into the market. And that's a perfect way to end that part of the topic. Thank you, Kim. And let's go to David Dunn. David, 60 seconds is all I've got for you. What do you think? Predictions? So, yeah, so I think I think Kimberly hit on some really good things. You know, business models are going to continue to change. Um, you know, we're going to start seeing moves to predictive and artificial uh, intelligence, predictive analytics. We're going to start seeing changes the way we go to market, the way we produce, the way we, you know, um, the, the way we sell to customers, uh, the way we cut costs, the way we create efficiencies. And those things are going to, you know, when companies do them well, there'll be targets for, you know, buyouts to uh, acquisition to, to, you know, reinvent the parent company. Um, I think, and as I mentioned slightly uh, earlier, I think as we see these, you know, these uh, big acquisitions where there are going to be divestitures and create small companies as well as uh, potential startups, that they'll will will continue to see merger and acquisition and divestiture activity, and we'll probably see a whole other wave of it. Thank you very much, Stefan. Thirty seconds. Sorry to do that to you. Fast. What do you see? Okay. So yeah, first of all, I mean, what 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 we're going to see is uh, um, big brands disappear as they did in the past, like Hooks and ICI. Others will appear on the screen. So that that's the first thing. I mean, we, we probably see many new brands coming up over the next few years. Secondly, we see the um, the industry boundaries more and more being blurred. So what is a chemical company today? Might tomorrow be a service company, a, a consumer product company, or whatsoever. 
So um, that's the second prediction. And the third prediction is, and that's in alignment with, with Dave and, and Kim as well, we see uh, new business models emerging and uh, service-oriented business models, um, entirely disruptive business models. We may even see in some cases, we call that uh, uberization of the chemical industry in some areas. And by any means, the bottom line is, that could even, even be an accelerator for ongoing mergers and acquisitions. Because if you want to play in that game and capitalize on these new uh, developments, business models, whatever, uh, the best way might be to just acquire a company who runs those business models, just to bring you up to speed on that. Thank you very much. That's all we have time for. Kim Nickel, thank you so much. Pleasure to reconnect with you. David Dunn, go take a rest. You did great. Rest that throat and hope the fever comes down soon. Stefan Gerskin, go have a great anniversary celebration. We'll be thinking of you, and thanks for taking time today. I know it's late there in Germany already, so get ready to party. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I want to thank Stefan and Thomas Pohl and David Parrish at SAP for sponsoring this series. We've got 30 seconds. Beat the clock. That's the name of the game. Thank you to Kevin Gassman and the Business Channel team for getting us on the air and keeping us there. Here's my call to action. And by the way, I'll be back at 2 p.m. with an edition of Utilities of the Future with Game Changers. Don't want to miss that here on the Business Channel. So fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Come on, be like Kim, be like David, be like Stefan. Go out and be a Game Changer today. That's an order. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to the Future of Manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Thursdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 